When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. In my years as a field agent for the Redwood Bureau, I've delved into countless cryptic cases and enigmatic events. However, there exists a distinct category within the Bureau's archives, securely fortified beneath layers of procedural secrecy, that contains records of phenomena born out of an unholy fusion of forbidden science and eldritch arcana. These documents reveal unfortunate and far too avoidable events. During my tenure, I've witnessed the chilling decline of once-celebrated researchers, their minds unraveling as they delved too deep into the void, chasing ambitions that exceeded human limitations. Mesmerized by the allure of unlocking the universe's most profound secrets, these individuals threw caution and ethics to the wind, descending into a maddening quest for occult knowledge and dominion over life's foundational elements. With hubris clouding their judgment, these rogue intellects believed they were prepared to commune with ageless entities, beings that resided in realms inconceivable to the human psyche. They brazenly performed blasphemous rituals and experiments, trying to morph science into an arcane art. But there are cosmic principles, timeless laws ingrained in the very fabric of existence, that when transgressed, demand a terrifying price. Some gates, once flung open, unleash forces that refuse to be shackled once more. I've seen the brightest luminaries of science reduced to mere shadows of their former selves, their groundbreaking work relegated to the Bureau's most secure vaults. I've watched as cutting-edge laboratories were obliterated, purged by cleansing flames, and the horrors I've witnessed. The incomprehensible entities summoned when science dares to breach forbidden boundaries are nightmarish visions that remain etched in my memory. These beings, driven by an insatiable hunger, defy any attempt at understanding or containment. While I was not involved in the particular case marked as Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 7066, its details are all too familiar. This ongoing account is a grim testament to the boundaries humanity must respect. In the Bureau's audacious quest for knowledge, they tread dangerous grounds, risking the release of threats so vast they dwarf our understanding and capabilities. No matter how advanced or prepared we believe we've become, Humanity remains perpetually vulnerable, our existence a mere blink in the span of eternity. It is my sincere hope that by shedding light on these dark events, we may one day put a stop to the unnecessary loss of life caused by the Redwood Bureau. 
Seduced by the enigmatic depths of the cosmos, many have succumbed to the lurking horrors of the unknown. As Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 7066 chillingly elucidates, once we dare to pry open certain doors, they reject closure, spilling their dark secrets into our world forever. The Nexus Initiative Research Journal, Dr. Calvin Leeds. As lead researcher on the Nexus Initiative, I am pioneering science that will revolutionize the Bureau's capabilities. For too long we have relied on human operatives with all their vulnerability and fallibility. The future lies in purpose-built organisms, and I alone have the vision and intellect to create them. Experiment number 001. For this first trial, we sourced genetic samples from a healthy 18-year-old female volunteer who we convinced to donate to our vital research. After extracting a number of eggs, we introduced synthesized arachnid RNA during the fertilization process. The plan was for this initial zygote to serve as patient zero. All future specimens could be cloned from its DNA. However, within 48 hours, the unstable hybrid genome caused severe mutations. On microscope analysis, the rapidly dividing cells showed non-human appendages, enlarged bulbous sacs, and other random non-human characteristics. By the five-day mark, the embryonic sac had swelled grotesquely in size. The gestation team believed it held promise. However, upon extraction, we found only a misshapen lump of tissue and malformed bone fragments. The hybrid's cerebellum had extruded out of its occipital cavity, preventing cranial fusion. Essentially, its deformed head exploded in the womb. Disposal teams had to work overnight, mopping up the gallons of blood and gore left coating the laboratory and equipment after incineration. The amount of destruction caused to the host was astounding given the embryo's small mass. An obvious disappointment, but science requires tenacity. We will, identif we will identify the issues and correct them for experiment number 002 immediately. I remain confident human arachnid hybridization will succeed and deliver us an ideal operative worthy of the Bureau's future. Experiment number 013. The previous trial's catastrophic mutation rate required a new approach. For this experiment, we used dormant Bureau test subjects. Having long since been put into induced comas, they will serve as perfect human incubators. We implemented vivisection to directly view the uterus and manually implant the hybrid zygotes. Twelve female subjects received fertilized eggs. For this batch, we incorporated brown recluse spider RNA for potential necrotic venom capabilities. Initial results seemed promising, 
with most embryos properly embedded in the uterine lining. However, complications arose around week 20 of gestation. Subjects began experiencing massive hemorrhaging, requiring transfusions just to continue survival to term. When the first birth came, the hybrid ripped through the uterine wall with its premature bone ridges and spider leg protrusions. The host expired from blood loss almost immediately. The malformed creature also quickly perished once removed, unable to breathe with underdeveloped lungs. And the story repeated itself in the remaining births. Only two hybrids briefly survived, exhibiting increased bone density, venom sacs, and multiplied eyes. But those two quickly expired shortly after extraction as well. I must perfect this process. The latest mutated traits indeed show promise. If I can stabilize the genetics to prevent such extreme fetal abnormalities, we will have the basis for a formidable human arachnid operative. More materials will need to be sourced. Human trials will continue. The Bureau... The Bureau was unwilling to... Sacrifice, as they worded it, more adult test subjects after the mess of experiment number 019. However, they granted me an alternative supply of materials, infants and young children from the Bureau orphanage facilities. For this trial, we introduced funnel-web spider genes to hopefully develop the subject's venom potency. Having exhausted other options, I decided on a new approach. Directly splicing arachnid genes into the living subject's cells. I am hoping that due to the premature age, the genes will have a higher chance of achieving a successful fusion. I hypothesized that introducing the spider DNA in targeted organs could allow natural assimilation into the subject's system. We focused on splicing into epithelial cells, eyes, circulatory systems, and skeletal muscles. The spider DNA was delivered via injection, circumventing the previous fertilization process. Initial trials showed promise, with human tissue accepting spliced genes without mass rejection. However, as arachnid characteristics began manifesting, chaos ensued. Subjects' pores leaked corrosive fluids. Eyes sprouted compound clusters. Veins burst outward. And bones shattered, reforming into spindly appendages. The scene rapidly devolved into a house of horrors. Bloody chaos reigned as miserable subjects screamed and begged for death. No amount of sedation could stop the mutations. We were forced to purge the entire stock, incinerating the remains to clear the lab of this debacle. While disheartening, this creative approach shows promise. With refinement, 
directed gene splicing could still enable successful human arachnid hybridization. I must press onward for the Bureau's sake and the world's future. The Bureau's weak-willed bureaucrats have cut off my subject's supply. They fail to comprehend the necessity of sacrifices for the greater good. No matter. I still have contacts from my more... illicit days, who can procure the materials I require. With proper incentives, the criminal underworld will provide access to an endless stream of subjects. Their origins are irrelevant. They will serve a higher purpose, fueling my vital research. My work transcends pedestrian ethical boundaries. With success, the Bureau will have an entirely new class of operatives at their disposal. No phenomenon will pose a threat once my hybrid legions are unleashed. Entire bloodlines can be optimized and engineered. I alone have the vision and aptitude to unlock this future. Let short-sighted fools question my methods. In time, they will understand the necessity when an army of perfected agents enforces Bureau control. My legacy will be an era of prosperity, ushered in by science, unburdened by moral cowardice. I will not be deterred from this destiny. More materials are already in transit to the laboratory. Experiment number 033. To maximize potential, I have merged the two most promising techniques zygote injection, and direct mRNA splicing. For this trial, I have procured another fresh batch of specimens from my network. My team harvested eggs and sperm samples from selected subjects. We created multiple fertilized zygotes and injected the, la and injected the latest iteration of synthesized spider DNA. This should allow integration during initial cellular division. Concurrently, we injected concentrated mRNA strands directly into spinal fluid and key organs. This targets essential systems with arachnid genetic information for accelerated manifestation. Early gestation appeared stable, without the severe mutations of prior trials. The specimens reached equivalent of the third trimester, with properly developing endoskeletons and muscle structures. However, the mRNA injections triggered uncontrolled cascading effects during the final growth stage. While gestating in the tanks, the subjects erupted with uncontrolled bone growths and hideous deformation. The specimens emerged as misshapen horrors. Spiked protrusions of shattered bone bursting through gray flesh and haphazard patterns. They screamed in perpetual agony until I authorized euthanization due to their utter uselessness. An unfortunate setback after promising initial success. The DNA and mRNA integration amplify each other unpredictably. 
I must fine-tune this methodology to stabilize the forced evolution. Additional optimization is required before achieving our breakthrough. Experiment number 042. After rigorous reinforcement, I am confident experiment number 042 represents the optimization of both methodologies. The DNA sequences have been triple verified and the mRNA insertion points quadruple checked. Every variable has been controlled to exact parameters. The ectogenesis chambers are prepped with the latest suspension fluids and nutrient biogels. Incubation temperatures precisely calibrated. Twelve specimens were fertilized and implanted according to the refined process. The initial cell divisions and embryonic development appeared flawless. Scans detected properly integrating spider-like characteristics by the first trimester. This will be our breakthrough. I can feel it. The specimens reach the equivalent of week 30, nearly ready for extraction and activation. My team was already preparing containment and training protocols. We were so close to success. By morning, the ectogenesis chambers were filled with decaying biomass and noxious putrid fluids. We emptied the contents into the incinerator before the rot could contaminate my lab any further. How? The process was immaculate. I cannot fathom what underlying factor still eludes me. These feeble organisms deny me at every turn. Drastic measures are now required. Those small-minded fools at the Bureau impede my progress. Their feeble intellects cannot comprehend the grandeur of my designs. I am weary of suffering their obstructionism. The time has come to cast off any restrictions. I have already gathered extensive occult lore on alchemical rituals, arcane symbols, and psionic incantations. This untapped well of metaphysical knowledge will provide the key to unlocking the hybridization potentials they could never grasp. There are accounts of interdimensional entities and ancient gods offering enlightenment to those brave enough to contact them. Beings with mastery over the building blocks of life itself, I will open the channels to their realms. The Bureau and their bureaucratic timidity will not stop me from claiming these higher truths. I will transcend their attempts to restrain my great work. When I deliver to them an unstoppable operative drawn from the veil between worlds, they will finally understand my true genius. I have converted an unused wing of the laboratory into a summoning sanctum. The occult artifacts and tomes are already en route. Warning. Signal interruption detected. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming... 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Signal connection restored. It was spring break of my senior year. My three best friends... Amanda, Tyler, Eric, and I were determined to kick it off with an epic camping adventure. The weather didn't cooperate at first, with below freezing windshields, so we spent the first few days holed up playing cards in Amanda's huge eight-person tent while drinking hot cocoa. It was fun and a nice escape, but we were craving adventure. But by day three of our five-day trip, the latest cold front finally passed. We woke to sunshine for the first time since arriving at the remote state forest, which was 50 miles from the nearest town. Loading our day packs with sandwiches and water, we set out on the rugged eight-mile hike through the area Amanda had planned for us. She said there was supposed to be amazing natural rock formations, hidden caves, old abandoned mine shafts, and even a waterfall back in the overgrown, unmapped portion of the forest. Our friend group had always bonded over exploration and a thirst for adventure. This hike was exactly the thrill we craved to cap off senior year. The four of us trekked for hours, remarking on the gorgeous mountain views and potential legends associated with various landmarks. Though winded, we were in great spirits right up until we reached the waterfall. It was mid-afternoon by the time we set eyes on it. An impressive 60-foot cascade emptying into a crisp blue pool. While taking photos at the waterfall's edge, 
I noticed what looked like the dark mouth of a cave behind the cascading water. Always up for exploring, I convinced the others to gear up and check it out. We slid along the slick rocks behind the roaring torrent of water and crept into the surprisingly deep cavern. Amanda got the idea to turn off our flashlights and sit in silence, experiencing the complete oppressive darkness of nature's undergrounds. At first, there was only rhythmic drips echoing off the cave walls, but slowly, I picked up on something else. A faint skittering an occasional odd groan resonating from deep within the cave. You guys hear that too, right? I whispered. Before any of them replied, we all switched our flashlights back on almost simultaneously. In that brief moment, I swore I glimpsed an impossibly spindly pale figure, like a humanoid spider made of interlocking bone, scuttling into a narrow crevice. But it happened so fast. Did you see that thing? I asked, shakily pointing at the small opening. My friends glanced around confused. See what? I mean, the whole flashlight thing was kind of weird. She laughed, pointing her flashlight around at each of us while making faces. I peered closer at the crevice, but it was empty. The others not having seen what I saw weren't convinced. But I could feel that something was wrong with this cave, and I had a terrible feeling we weren't alone down here. Despite my anxiety, the others convinced me to continue exploring the cave's tunnels. They said this was too good of an experience to give up, just because I had gotten spooked. We squeezed through narrow gaps, remarking on some odd tracks that appeared on the ground, leading further into the caves. The deeper we went, the more claustrophobic and oppressive it felt. I reached for my flashlight's reassurance more frequently in the increasingly labyrinthine shadows. Strange noises echoed from side passages, hisses, groans, skittering footsteps, just out of sight. Mysterious gust of unfelt wind caused my flashlight to flicker. Tyler gasped, looking down at the ground frantically. Something just ran across my shoe, he said, turning left and right, scanning the ground. We were all looking around, trying to catch a glimpse of whatever lurked within these caves. But all we could find was more of those strange small tracks. I pleaded with my friends to turn back, certain we were in terrible danger. Don't worry, it was probably just a rat. Tyler said, dismissing the entire incident. If it had happened to Tyler and he wasn't worried, the rest of our group didn't seem to be worried either. They just kept pressing forward despite my desperate pleas. This would be our last adventure together before we all went off to different colleges. This thought the only thing keeping me from turning around and leaving them right then and there. Perhaps I was just being paranoid, but... I couldn't shake this pervasive feeling of dread that welled up within my stomach. The cave forked, and Amanda insisted we split up to cover more ground faster. Before I could even argue with her, she and Eric went right, as Tyler began heading down the left tunnel. I had an overwhelming sense we shouldn't separate, but the situation 
was far out of my control. They had agreed to meet back at the fork in 15 minutes to share what we found. But five minutes hadn't passed before Tyler said he saw light ahead and rushed forward. I tried to keep up, but the winding uneven path hid him from my view. I called out for him, but only the echoes in my voice replied. My flashlight dimmed as I traced his every step and the branching tunnels, growing more panicked by the minute. How could he have disappeared so quickly? It didn't make any sense. He had to be playing a joke on me. Finally, my gradually dimming light glinted off something. Tyler's cracked cell phone lay abandoned on the cave floor. But no sign of him in any direction. No prints. No nothing. Tyler! Tyler! I screamed desperately until my throat burned. Dread flooded me. There had to be some explanation. People didn't just vanish into thin air. But what logical reason could there be? Confused and terrified, I debated trying to find Amanda and Eric. But my light was nearly dead. With no other choice, I started feeling my way back through the growing darkness, calling fruitlessly for my friends. My dying flashlight, nearly useless. I started blindly stumbling back the way we came, one hand trailing the wall. Tyler! Tyler! I rasped, throat hoarse and raw from yelling. Frantically, I retraced our route, choosing tunnels at random when I lost track, no longer sure what was left or right. Tyler couldn't just disappear. I had to find him. Amanda! Amanda! Eric! I cried. Only silence and the sound of my frenzied breathing answered. Where were they if not looking for us? I doubled back again, heart pounding as I felt along the maze of passages. This couldn't be happening. The tunnel stretched on endlessly now, with no forks or turns anymore. Panic overwhelmed me, as my light was now completely dead. In my reckless haste, I tripped and fell hard, head cracking on jagged rock. Dazed, vision swimming, I tried getting up, but collapsed again. My energy spent. I curled up on the cold cave floor. Maybe the others would find me, I told myself. Eyelids heavy and world fading away. I slowly regained consciousness, head pounding. My phone showed no signal and my periodic shouts into the void yielded no replies. I was alone. Shivering, I shrugged on my jacket and retrieved my useless flashlight. Even with light, the labyrinthine tunnels had proved impossible to navigate. But I had to find an exit for my friends, if they were even still in here. Exhausted, I dragged my feet along the winding path, navigating its many turns and twists. My friends' names echoed back at me, unanswered until my cries were reduced to ragged wheezing. The winding passages seemed to shift and rearrange themselves to keep me lost. My voice echoing back 
strange and unfamiliar, as if warped by the tunnels themselves. After what felt like miles of stumbling through jack pitch black, I noticed a faint glow ahead. Daylight! New energy propelled me toward the cave mouth, freedom from this deathly maze. But as I approached, the air itself seemed to glint and solidify into a transparent barrier. Looking out into the forest, it was now night. The glow of the moon, almost blinding compared to the pitch black that had been my entire existence for the last hours. No matter how hard I hit the invisible wall, I could not break through. My fist throbbing with pain, I threw my body against it over and over again, but the barrier showed no signs of weakening. The glow of the outside world taunted me, so close yet impossibly out of reach. Exhausted and hoarse from screaming, I collapsed in defeat. Whatever this was keeping me here was unnatural. My tired and pain-filled head couldn't even begin to comprehend or respond to what I was experiencing. I was a prisoner to something far beyond my understanding now, even if someone managed to find this underground labyrinth. They wouldn't be able to get in, nor I out. I didn't know how I could escape or what lurking horror called this labyrinth home. As I walked, I began to step on things on the cave floor. Bending down to feel what was there, I found Tyler's pocket knife. A ways deeper, Amanda's hair clip. Even further still, Eric's flashlight, also not working. It was like breadcrumbs marking their path, but why would they leave these things behind? Soon my hand brushed across deep scoring in the cave walls at erratic intervals. Some smooth and straight, others jagged and deep. With growing dread, I realized they were scratch marks. But with the intricacies of the shapes, I couldn't imagine who had done this or why. The marks became more frequent until I turned a corner into a wider cavern and stifled a yelp. The entire chamber was covered in scratches, forming chaotic cryptic symbols. The symbols almost seemed to glow with a faint power, illuminating the room with a dusky radiance. In the center lay Eric's tattered and bloody shirt. No sign of my friends themselves, but something terrible had happened here. I had to keep moving. I had to find them. Eric was hurt. That's when I noticed the trail of blood spots. They appeared a distorted black under the natural glow of the symbols. Following the trail, the marks on the walls gave way to splotches of dark liquid. I touched one, and my finger came away red. My stomach dropped. It was more blood. The spots were infrequent at first, but soon the quantity increased until I was following a sporadic trail. It looked like it had sprayed out from multiple sources, speckling the walls in all directions. One passage was so thoroughly stained that the rock glistened under the false light. The metallic tang of iron clung to the damp air now. Something horrific had happened here, and the deeper I went, the worse it seemed to get. Finally, the passage opened into the largest chamber yet, and I collapsed 
to my knees at the sight. So much blood saturated the room that it trickled down the cave walls. This was a place of death. The sheer amount of viscera and gore coating every surface left no doubt. This was all that remained of my friends. Entrails were strewn about, tattered and torn, splayed across the sharp rocks like gruesome decorations. Intestines lay exposed from open abdominal cavities, trailing off in snaking coils. Unidentifiable chunks of flesh lay in sticky pools of blood. The sheer amount was staggering, like three bodies had detonated, leaving only this revolting organic aftermath. At the center of the carnage lay a stripped arm, degloved muscles and ligaments hanging like morbid tassels, and scattered all throughout were torn, blood-soaked scraps of the clothes my friends had been wearing just hours earlier. The horrific realization sent me crashing to my knees, violently expelling the meager contents of my stomach as agonized sobs wrecked me. They were gone. Whatever evil inhabited this cave had slaughtered and destroyed them, leaving only these discarded bits of gore. Their lives and dreams reduced to nothing more than discarded bits of meat. Shaking uncontrollably, I crawled away from the living nightmare until I came upon a small hidden cavity in the rock. Curling into a ball, I descended into hopelessness and despair. Wishing I could simply melt away and become part of the stone. Curled in the alcove, I was startled by faint skittering growing louder. I huddled, motionless, praying whatever had done this to my friends would not find me. Then I heard a muted voice. Tyler! Help me. Help me. Please. Where are you? He called weakly. Before I could second guess, I scrambled out toward his pleas. Tyler, I'm here! I followed the sound down a winding passage until I saw Tyler's head peeking around a curve, his face illuminated in a faint glow. Help me. Help me. Please. He repeated vacantly. Cautiously, I moved toward him, confused by his listless expression. Tyler, you're hurt? Tyler, you're hurt? What? what? My words died in my throat as an immense creature emerged behind Tyler's decapitated head. A spindly mass of interconnected bones shifting in a mockery of a spider. One of its appendages gripped Tyler's head, moving his jaw like a puppet. Where have you been? I've been looking for you. The bone creature mocked in Tyler's voice. Then with a violent wrench, it peeled the flesh from Tyler's skull and absorbed the bare bone into its own distorted anatomy. I stood paralyzed by shock and horror as the monstrosity towered over me, recognizing my friend's skeletal remains fused within its gnarled body. Then its stolen skeletal arms reached out for me. I turned and fled through the twisting passages, the monster shrieks echoing behind me as it gave pursuit. <sighs> My frenzied flight 
carried me through tunnels and caverns I hadn't discovered before in my aimless wandering. The sound of its limbs clattered against the walls, echoed behind me. It was closing in despite my panicked head start. Then up ahead, a narrow crevice, barely large enough for a person. I squeezed inside just as the creature scuttled into view. It was too massive now to wedge through the tight gap. Howling in frustration, it probed the opening with gnarled appendages, but couldn't reach me. I shuddered, feeling the warped fingers of my friends graze my ankle before I pulled my legs tighter against my chest. For now, the cramped fissure provided sanctuary for the monstrosity. But I was trapped, too squeezed to move forward or back. It lurked just outside my stone prison, biding its time. I knew that whatever it was, it was highly intelligent. Wedged inside the suffocating narrow gap, I held my breath, hearing the creature's limbs scraping the stone just inches away. It seemed to be circling the crevice, seeking any possible access point, occasionally letting out rattling shrieks of frustration. The cramped ceiling pressed down as I huddled there for what felt like days, though it was surely only hours. My legs grew numb, tucked tightly to my chest, and my neck ached from being frozen in an upward stair to avoid the rock ceiling. Periodically, the creature would halt, going dead silent. Those moments were the worst, leaving me petrified, wondering if it had abandoned the pursuit or was lying in a wait for me to exit my temporary safety. The feeling of panic and dread welled up inside of me. I could see no way out. This sanctuary would soon become my tomb. Tears cut trails through the dirt, and blood kicking my face as hope dwindled. Perhaps starving slowly in this crevice was the best fate I could choose. Distant burst of automatic gunfire echoed through the tunnels. Flashes of light accompanying them as shadows of figures advanced from the cave's dark depths. Strange, unnatural shrieks answered this new threat, grew brighter and more frequent, revealing the forms of a tactical team pursuing something onward through the caverns with relentless gunfire. Their targets enraged roars shook the walls as I huddled in my crevice. The squad had engaged their quarry in close combat. Their leader yelled to just formation as the shrieks took on an intense fury. The monster was not going down easily. One by one, the gunfire slowed, then stopped, as horrible sounds emerged, bones crunching, men screaming in their final throes. The creature was tearing through them savagely. Their numbers dwindled rapidly, based on the decreasing shouts and firing. A few men fell back deeper into the system, firing flares to maintain visuals. The thing pursued them amidst the flickering blaze, howls deafening in the caverns. The desperate battle continued until both gunshots and screams finally faded into silence and darkness. Had anyone survived the confrontation? There was no way to know 
from my crevice. Sometime later, new footsteps and flashlight beams approached. Exit the crevice! Hands where we can see them! Shouted a man in full tactical gear. Blinded, I squeezed out of the tight space. The agent checked me for injuries, took my vitals, and photographed my eyes. His team watched the cave tunnels warily, each pointing their lights and weapons down the passageways. Subject appears intact. Administering amnestic now. The leader said, producing a handheld device. Just a little sting. Everything went hazy. The rest of the experience a blur. The agents had guided me through a concealed cave exit. A helicopter waited nearby, rotors whirring. Standard extraction protocol enacted. Get her loaded and back to the facility, barked the lead agent. Too early to tell for sure, but something seems to be interfering with the wipe. Monitor for regression. They secured me aboard the helicopter. As we lifted off, I glanced back and thought I saw an unnatural blue glow emanating from somewhere within the mountain range. Then the night faded away into a haze as the helicopter's whirring blades took us away. Warning, signal interruption detected. Signal connection restored. Occult trial number 001. My first act was to obtain a bound servant from the realms beyond. The incantations were taxing, but my sigil work was flawless. As the last echoes of the incantation died out, the chamber filled with a swirling vortex of opaque fumes. A figure coalesced within, vaguely humanoid with a wispy shifting form. Strange symbols glowed across the vaporous body. Establishing control pushed me to mental and physical limits. The conjured creature rebelled against the binding, lashing out with lances of ether. My skin blistered from its touch, but I persevered. It resisted solidifying into physical form, but obeyed my commands. I tasked it with reconstructing the genetic code of the arachnid DNA samples into stable configurations immune to rejection. The entity worked tirelessly, though my science far exceeded its comprehension. In 72 hours, it produced a refined genome supposedly capable of integrating with human cells without provoking violent mutations. However, When implanted into specimen cells, the new code degraded rapidly. The servant creature wailed in agony at its failure before retreating back to its dimension. A predictively primitive intellect, but a valuable first test of binding interdimensional beings to practical service. With greater specimens under my control, achieving hybridization will be trivial. Occult trial number 009. My expertise has grown exponentially. The protective wards, carved into the chamber walls, 
stabilized the vortex forces, reinforcing containment. I summoned a more powerful entity this time, a sinister extra-dimensional intellect. It appeared as an orb of inky darkness, swirling with alien constellations and glowing sigils. When it resisted control, I enacted the binding rites flawlessly. The entity constricted as occult chains crushed its form. Once constrained, I compelled it to review the hybridization research and identify any flaws hindering success. It scrutinized the genetic code with its unearthly perception. After cycles of analysis, the entity identified precisely how to weave human and arachnid code into unified structures. Its mastery of these forces eclipses all other understanding. We may have finally solved this puzzle. I cannot yet fully grasp the otherworldly solutions it dictated, but my team can follow the formulas exactly as spoken. I expanded protective measures before releasing the creature. That knowledge is too valuable should it attempt escape. We will replicate its occult genetic process in the next fertilization trial. If we can produce even one viable specimen, it will validate these risky primordial packs. The possibilities at my fingertips now are endless. Occult trial number 017. While spirit entities provide intellectual insights, I must expand my personal mastery over primal forces. The binding rites require total metaphysical control. Thus, I devoted this trial to strengthening my proficiency with transmutation sigils. The twisted symbols contain latent power to reshape physical forms when activated properly. Through long hours of practice, I refined my technique drawing complex geometric runes, chanting each verbal cipher flawlessly. The eldritch symbols appear on the chamber walls, pulsing with elusive potential. My first attempts produced only mild reality distortions, subtle ripples in space-time through the lab, but the process consumed much energy. I pushed my endurance, etching larger sigils to amplify the effects. By the ritual's climax, the entire wing had shifted into an adjacent plane. Spatial physics warped beyond recognition. The trans-dimensional view was indescribable before I collapsed, spent. But the experiment proves I can forcibly change local reality through occult means alone. With enhanced sigils and stamina, I may even be able to breach the veil permanently. The entities will take notice. My hypothesis draws nigh. Occult Trial Number 024 Emboldened by my growing command of the primordial forces, I dared an ambitious ritual. The incantations invoked an ancient entity, 
one of pure chaos and destruction. Its presence alone shook the lab's foundations. I barely managed the binding, glyphs flashing dangerously near collapse. The creature roared, rattling my bones with its fury. Only by exerting my full metaphysical strength did I force its obedience. Once constrained, I directed it to imbue the latest batch of hybrid zygotes with enhanced physical resistance and genetic compatibility. This being possessed a deep wealth of knowledge. It gripped the zygotes with smoky tendrils, occult energy cascading. The embryos spasmed violently, wisps twisting their forms. My will held the entity's power at bay, preventing it from disintegrating back into its plane. After days maintaining rigid control, I finally released the weakened creature. Most specimens were lost, but two survived, empowered by more ethereal gifts. I had proven myself worthy of commanding the arcane. I am now prepared to conduct the ultimate ritual. By binding primordial powers and science, I will breach the divide permanently. The perfect hybrid will seize its first breath before this moon wanes. And the fools at the Bureau derided my research, condemned my methods, and sabotaged my progress at every turn. And their feeble linear thinking could not comprehend the grandeur of my vision. But I persevered, perfecting the occult arts while mastering the science of life itself. No mundane barriers could restrain my omnipotence. Did they really believe their budget cuts and regulations could halt my research? My intellect transcends their entire troglodyte organization combined. While they clutched to their outdated ideals, I alone forged the power needed to reshape biology itself. Now, on the cusp of godhood... I relish imagining the Bureau Director groveling before me in my creation, the perfect hybrid of material and spirit. They denied me resources, but provided the greatest motivation of all, revenge. My triumph will force them to accept how profoundly they underappreciated my genius. The old order will be swept aside when my legion of hybrid operatives marches forth. Let them doubt and dismiss all they want. In mere hours, my masterwork will rip open a new era for the Bureau. If only they could see their savior now. The time has come to usher in that new era. I have prepared the ritual chamber meticulously every surface engraved with amplifying wards. Candles of exotic composition bathe the room in uncanny glows. The gene-spliced zygotes float in the rectogenesis tanks, ready for the awakening ritual. I have perfected the arachnid and human genomes specifically for this synthesis.
Tonight, I will open the portal wider than ever before. The boundless power that fuels the cosmos itself shall infuse my creation with transcendent life. A new form, made flesh, hosting an eternal spirit. My team is on standby to handle this specimen. Containment systems primed. Nutrient injectors loaded. Monitoring charms active. I personally etched the binding runes to prevent another escape. Clad in the robes of my station, I take one final inspection of the sanctum. Light the incense. Activate the relics. Review every syllable of the incantation. Every precise trace route of the sigils. The moon rises. Stars aligning. I begin the ritual. Offer the sacrifice. Speak the words that shake dimensions. Activate the wards. And breach the veil once more. Now to harness the forces that churn between realms and forge my legacy. Either I ascend or die, mastering the secrets that defied me. There can be no turning back now. The occult incantations echo as I open the portal wider than ever before. Shadowy tendrils emerge writhing entities on the other side, seeking purchase in our reality. I force them into binding sigils, compelling them to obey. Our world starts to merge with the dimension beyond the veil, reality bending and distorting around us. My team activates the generators, channeling stabilizing energies into the ectogenesis tanks containing the prepped zygotes. At my command, the entities pour arcane knowledge into the embryonic specimens. Eldritch biological manipulation far beyond scientific comprehension alters every strand of DNA, according to my grand design. The team injects supplementary fluids laced with mysterious compounds from the entity's home realm. A visible pulse emanates throughout the zygotes as human, animal, and occult merge into singular life forms. For hours, I maintain rigid control over the ritual, taxing mind and body to their limits. But I cannot waver with cosmic forces at play and scientific history within grasp. Then, a blinding flash accompanied by a shockwave. The entities retreat through the closing veil as reality stabilizes. Catching my breath, I stagger to the ectogenesis chamber and gaze upon my creation. It lives. The chambers are empty, except for one. Languidly floating in prenatal fluids, but undeniably breathing with a heartbeat detectable on scans. Spindly bone limbs fused seamlessly to soft tissue, and subtler, 
Traces of spectral energy suffused throughout its newborn body. It worked. The perfect hybrid of material and spirit. Born from science and sorcery. My legacy given form at last. Greater transformations still await. But for now, we can celebrate this momentous victory. I watch with dawning dread as the embryonic hybrid I so carefully created molts with alarming speed. Occult forces accelerating its development exponentially. It outgrows containment within moments, lithe bone limbs sharpening into slicing blades. My team unleashes everything in our arsenal but bullets simply thud into its hardening bone carapace, drawing shrieks as it regenerates bone matter from the corpses of slain staff faster than we can damage it. After killing all the lab technicians that got sealed in with it, it consumed the animals from our specimen stocks by the hundreds. Hunger never sated. Once it finished every living thing within reach, it started to hunt the rest of us down. The beast absorbs skeletal matter directly into its body, becoming an enormous twisting mass of fused skeletons. Reforming the bones into gnarled limbs, jaws, and spikes. We tried sealing all the doors and enabling containment traps. But its monstrous form shreds titanium bars and pulverizes concrete restraints as if they were paper. My team barricades ourselves as it systematically slaughters everyone in its path. The bone monstrosity dismantles security doors and systems with extraordinary cunning, toying with each victim caught in its grasp. I helplessly watch on camera monitors as it decorates the lab with viscera and gore. My life's work becoming little more than red carnal stained halls. Men, women, animal. No living thing is spared from its whirling blade limbs and gnashing jaws. Their dying screams savored by the malevolent entity. It has taken mere hours for it to nearly breach my inner sanctum. But inevitably, the beast will overcome all protections. There is no backup on the way. The Bureau didn't know I moved my work down here. It has grown immense from the bones of its victims. I beg and plead with my once divine creation It regards me, and for a moment, I think I see recognition in its burning eyes. Yes, my creation recognizes its master. I am the one who... It plunges one of its scythes into my abdomen, lifting me off of the ground. It shreds the skin from my legs seeming to soak in my pain-filled screams.
My vision begins to fade as I feel my bones fuse into its hideous amalgam of countless skeletons. My very essence is pulled into its hate-filled decor. In mere moments, I will cease to exist. My last thought is fear that this creature I unleashed will never stop growing, and that no earthly force will be capable of controlling or containing it if it escapes. classified records of the Redwood Bureau, few cases are as haunting or damning as Redwood Bureau Phenomenon 7066. These documents shed light on one of the most formidable aberrations birthed from the underground labs of the Bureau, thanks in no small part to the ill-fated experiments of Dr. Calvin Leeds. For too long, Dr. Leeds' ambitions danced upon the perilous precipice of forbidden realms, attempting to harness a trifecta of human, animal, and eldritch genetics, all in the vain hope of creating an army of genetically perfect field agents for the Bureau. But, as the ancient adage warns, to play with fire is to risk being burnt. Instead of the disciplined operatives he sought, his meddling unleashed a monstrous entity propelled by an insatiable hunger for souls and the potential to plunge our world into chaos. The abomination, now known as RBP-7066, or more chillingly among operatives as the Bone Weaver, consumes and amalgamates bone matter from its prey after absorbing their life energy. Each assimilation reshapes its grotesque skeletal form, making it a constantly evolving nightmare and to combat it is extremely difficult. While stealing souls somehow gives it power over its victim's skeletal structure, allowing it to use and reshape the bone, that doesn't even scratch the surface of this entity's horrific abilities. It wields unknown power I would compare to occult magic, but almost nothing is known about this aspect of the Bone Weaver. Its evasiveness is equally unnerving. The Bone Weaver, in its grotesque wisdom, showcases an uncanny awareness of the Bureau's containment strategies. It's as if it delights in a morbid game of cat and mouse, psychologically tormenting its pursuers before descending upon its prey with ruthless precision. It doesn't discriminate. Every living being is potential sustenance. However, it is not invulnerable. During its initial escape from confinement while tearing its way out of the Bureau's lab, the creature suffered significant damage from innumerable armed security guards, losing a considerable portion of its mass. Between the Bureau's retaliation and the energy it expended destroying its way through countless agents, it was likely forced into a period of reluctant restraint, recuperating and gathering strength in the shadows. One of the many specialized recon teams sent out to track and contain 7066 picked up an odd spike in a similar energy signature the Boneweaver had used in its escape. The mission parameters immediately shifted. Stop it from gaining mass and keep the public from finding out. After a costly failed attempt at neutralization, one survivor was found and extracted. She was subjected to standard memory wipe procedures designed to erase any traumatic recollections of recent events. However, a rare genetic abnormality rendered their techniques ineffective leading to her unfortunate and indefinite confinement. The Bureau's containment protocol leaves no room for loose ends. 
While the Bone Weaver's current whereabouts remain a looming mystery, one thing remains terrifyingly certain. This creature, born from forbidden fusion, continues its relentless hunt, growing and morphing with each kill. While the Bureau may have it on the run for now, such an unpredictable and effective entity may shift that tide at any moment. The world may sleep in blissful ignorance, but for those who know the truth, sleep comes restless, comes restless. and infrequent. And infrequent. I'm afraid the latest round of amnestic therapy showed no improvement. Your hippocampal activity remains too high. I don't understand. What, what does that mean? Why do you keep doing these treatments? You possess a rare theta variant gene that provides cognitive resistance to memory alteration. In basic terms, our amnestics will never fully suppress your traumatic memories. But I don't want my memories erased. My friends... We have to tell someone what happened to us down there. People must be worried sick looking for us. There is no search. As far as the public record shows, you perished in a caving accident weeks ago. We convincingly covered up the incident. No, this can't be real. We told everyone we died. My family must be devastated. I need to go home and see them. Please. Due to your genetic anomaly, returning home is impossible. We cannot allow you to divulge sensitive information your brain refuses to forget. I realize this is difficult. Difficult? You kidnapped me. You lied about me being dead. How could you do something so horrible? I just want to go home. This is your home now. While tragic, preventing knowledge of the specimen and bureau activities takes priority. Your mutation makes you an indefinite security risk. So what happens to me now? You're just going to keep me locked up here forever? You'll remain in secure containment for your own safety and ours. Our psychiatrists and care staff will make sure you're comfortable. This is for the best. In time, you'll understand. Please, I'm begging you. Don't leave me trapped here. I just want to go home. Let me go home! Come back! American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more, right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.